in the province, and therefore in the whole world. One day, as Cunegonde was walking near the castle in the little wood known as the Park, she saw Dr. Pangloss in the bushes, giving a lesson in experimental physics to her mother's chambermaid, a very pretty and docile little brunette. Since Lady Cunegonde was deeply interested in the sciences, she breathlessly observed the repeated experiments that were performed before her eyes. She clearly saw the doctor's sufficient reason and the operation of cause and effect. She then returned home agitated and thoughtful, reflecting that she might be young Candide's sufficient reason, and he hers. On her way back to the castle she met Candide. She blushed, and so did he. She greeted him in a faltering voice, and he spoke to her without knowing what he was saying. The next day, as they were leaving the table after dinner, Cunegonde and Candide found themselves behind a screen. She dropped her handkerchief. He picked it up. She innocently took his hand, and he innocently kissed hers with extraordinary animation, ardour, and grace. Their lips met. Their eyes flashed, their knees trembled, their hands wandered. Baron Thunder Ten Trunk happened to pass by the screen. Seeing this cause and effect, he drove Candide from the castle with vigorous kicks in the backside. Cunegonde fainted. The Baroness slapped her as soon as she revived, and consternation reigned in the most beautiful and agreeable of all possible castles. Chapter 2 What Happened to Candide Among the Bulgars After being driven from his earthly paradise, Candide walked for a long time without knowing where he was going, weeping, raising his eyes to heaven, looking back often towards the most beautiful of castles, which contained the most beautiful of young baronesses. He lay down without eating supper between two furrows in an open field. It was snowing in large flakes. The next day, chilled to the bone, he dragged himself to the nearest town, whose name was Waldberghof Trabd Dickdorf. Penniless, dying of hunger and fatigue, he stopped sadly in front of an inn. Two men dressed in blue noticed him. Fellows, said one of them, there's a well-built young man who's just the right height. They went up to Candide and politely asked him to dine with them. Gentlemen, said Candide with charming modesty, I'm deeply honoured, but I have no money to pay my share. Ah, sir, said one of the men in blue, people of your appearance and merit never pay anything. Aren't you five feet five? Yes, gentlemen, that's my height, he said, bowing. Come, sir, sit down. We'll not only pay for your dinner, but we'll never let a man like you be short of money. Men were made only to help each other. You're right, said Candide. That's what Dr. Pangloss always told me, and I see that all is for the best. They begged him to accept a little money. He took it and offered to sign a note for it, but they would not let him. They all sat down to table. Don't you dearly love... Oh, yes, answered Candide. I dearly love Lady Cunegonde. No, 
said one of the men. We want to know if you dearly love the king of the Bulgars. Not at all, said Candide, because I've never seen him. What? He's the most charming of kings, and we must drink to his health. Oh, I'll be glad too, gentlemen. And he drank. Uh, that's enough, he was told. Uh, you're now the support, the upholder, the defender, and the hero of the Bulgars. Your fortune is made and your glory is assured. They immediately put irons on his legs and took him to the regiment. He was taught to make right and left turns, raise and lower the ramrod, take aim, fire, and march double time, and he was beaten thirty times with a stick. The next day he performed his drills a little less badly, and was given only twenty strokes. The following day he was given only ten, and his fellow soldiers regarded him as a prodigy. Candide, utterly bewildered, still could not make out very clearly how he was a hero. One fine spring day he decided to take a stroll. He walked straight ahead, believing that the free use of the legs was a privilege of both mankind and the animals. He had not gone five miles when four other heroes, all six feet tall, overtook him, bound him, brought him back, and put him in a dungeon. With proper legal procedure, he was asked which he would prefer, to be beaten thirty-six times by the whole regiment, or to receive twelve bullets in his brain. It did him no good to maintain that man's will is free, and that he wanted neither. He had to make a choice. Using the gift of God known as freedom, he decided to run the gauntlet thirty-six times, and did so twice. The regiment was composed of two thousand men, so his punishment was so far composed of four thousand strokes, which had laid bare every muscle and nerve from his neck to his backside. As they were preparing for a third run, Candide, unable to go on, begged them to blow his brains out instead. The favour was granted. He was blindfolded and made to kneel. Just then the king of the Bulgars came by and inquired about the condemned man's crime. Being a highly intelligent king, he realised from what he was told that Candide was a young metaphysician, utterly ignorant of worldly matters, and pardoned him with a clemency that will be praised in all newspapers and all ages. A worthy surgeon healed Candide in three weeks with the emollients prescribed by Dioscorides. He already had a little skin and was able to walk when the king of the Bulgars joined battle with the king of the Avars. Chapter 3 How Candide Escaped from the Bulgars and What Became of Him Nothing could have been more splendid, brilliant, smart, or orderly than the two armies. The trumpets, fifes, oboes, drums, and cannons produced a harmony whose equal was never heard in hell. First the cannons laid low about six thousand men on each side, then rifle fire removed from the best of worlds about nine or ten thousand scoundrels who had been infesting its surface. The bayonet was also the sufficient reason for the death of several thousand men. The total may well have risen to thirty thousand souls. Candide, trembling like a philosopher, 
hid himself as best he could during this heroic carnage. Finally, while the two kings were having Te Deums sung, each in his own camp, Candide decided to go elsewhere to reason about cause and effect. He made his way over heaps of dead and dying men until he came to a nearby village. It was in ashes, for it was an Avar village, which the Bulgars had burned in accordance with international law. Old men with wounds all over their bodies were watching the death throes of butchered women, who clutched their children to their bloody breasts. Girls, who had been disemboweled after satisfying the natural needs of several heroes, were breathing their last sighs. Others, mortally burned, were shrieking for someone to hasten their death. The ground was strewn with brains and severed arms and legs. Candide fled to another village as fast as he could. It belonged to the Bulgars, and the Avar heroes had treated it in the same manner. Still walking over quivering limbs or through ruins, he finally emerged from the theatre of war, carrying a little food in his sack and never forgetting Lady Cunegonde. His food ran out when he reached Holland, but since he had heard that everyone was rich in that country and that the people were Christians, he did not doubt that he would be treated as well there as he had been in the Baron's castle before he had been driven away from it because of Lady Cunegonde's lovely eyes. He asked arms of several solemn individuals who all replied that if he continued to ply that trade, he would be shut up in a house of correction to teach him better manners. Next, he approached a man who had just spoken about charity for a whole hour.